0: This is Bedrock Thoughts, where we talk about everything and anything under the stars. I'm your host, on An Ping, and today I would like to give a life update as I just started Chinese classes. And let's just say that writing Chinese characters is, it uses a whole different part of your brain. Like, like I had to really just reopen, I guess, like a new part of my brain. Like, you know, if you know Chinese characters, they look very hard and they are hard because, you know, some of the characters are based off of like uh, images. Uh, sometimes they have like uh, a meaning to it and then it's like a bunch of smaller radical characters kind of mashed together and like it's really cool. Okay. I'm not gonna lie, like it's really cool that I know how to write. You know, I'm slowly getting somewhere. But it's like first day of classes and we're already jumping into like really big words. Um so instead of starting with like big and small or up and down we're starting with like i don't know normally like imagine your first day in like english class ever like you're learning english you jump in and they're like okay we're gonna practice how to write english and then the first word is like normally or it's like my household (laughs) (laughs) so that's kind of how you know i got thrown into this and so the first quiz that we took um I, yeah, bombed it. (laughs) Bombed it is a light word. I like left it majority blank. And it was very embarrassing. So I, after that class, I spent like two hours in a studying room, just like cranking out characters. Just like repeating, 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 repeating. Like to the point that my hand was like cramping really bad. I think with... Chinese it's just like almost like image recognition and so you have to like really train it and it's like for me though me as like my memory is so bad to the point that I like photography because it helps me remember like images for me as someone with basically short-term memory like the memory of a goldfish like seven seconds Don't remember anything, you know. I learned something seven seconds, it's gone. Yeah, never gonna see it again. It this is really hard, and like, even after I like learn the characters and I write like a character like a bajillion times, literally like 20 times in a row, and I write it in combination with other characters and I use it in a sentence, people will be like, Can you write this character? and I'll be like, Um, no, (laughs) I forgot. And it freaks me out. I just, it annoys me so much. My brain just doesn't work well. But for some reason, I'm really good at recognizing faces though. Like I can see someone and then I can be like, I think I've seen you before. Like you look really familiar. Like I can do that. I don't know. Faces, maybe faces are just like different for me. But yeah, I like, I can recognize people after seeing them maybe like once or twice. And I can start recognizing their faces. But yeah, I guess names I don't really recognize. I can't really remember names. Some people can remember names, but not faces that well. I don't know. The human brain is just so weird. But I just know that Chinese characters is not a part of my brain that I regularly use. And she's dusty. So I've had to kind of blow off the dust <laughs> off the, um, the, uh, cabinets for that one. Yeah, that's kind of my update, but you know, making friends. Um I want to learn like so Taiwanese is also kind of its own like dialect, but it doesn't sound anything like Mandarin all that much. And honestly kind of sounds like um I don't know, it looks it sounds like some languages in uh like Southeast Asia. But it's kind of like Cantonese, but Cantonese sounds a little more like Mandarin than Taiwanese I don't know where Taiwanese comes from but in Taiwan they it's not actually officially Taiwanese it's like um I think it's it's a Hokkien we call it Taiyu but it's actually like Minanyu Yu is like a language so Minan language I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know but yeah I, I want to learn like Taiwanese even though it's not like an official language but Yeah, I think it'd be kind of fun. Like, okay, here's the difference between Chinese and like Taiwanese. So like if you, so you don't say hi, right? You don't say 你好吗? Like, how are you doing? In Chinese, you say like 你吃饭了吗? Like, did you eat? (laughs) Have you had lunch? 你吃中餐了吗? 你吃午餐了吗? But in Taiwanese, it's not ni lama. Like it's not like have you eaten yet. It's like boy. <laughs> like tell me it doesn't. It sounds nothing alike jaba <laughs> boy versus ni It sounds like I don't know if y- y'all watch like K dramas, but like some of the uh dialects in um uh, uh, uh Korean, like you can hear the difference. Like um oh oh, oh like in, in Seoul you'll hear people ask like have you eaten yet? Like Pap soyo," Pap soyo," And then in like I don't know what region, but you'd hear like Pabuna <laughs> Pabuna Have you eaten yet? Pabuna <laughs> Bro What is this? It's just I don't know, it's so interesting. Uh, dialects are are very interesting, and accents are interesting, and I don't know. It's it's been really fun, actually. I think learning, like almost like relearning my, I would say Mandarin is a first language for me, but like a but because what I was speaking with my parents, because I learned English and Mandarin at the same time, like when I was younger, and so but Mandarin for me is just like, it's not, you know, you know, like a more formal kind of like education. Like I didn't, I didn't ever get like a formal education on it. And so all Mandarin to me is like spoken. And so what I know is like basic conversation and I can have basic conversation without thinking too hard about it. It's just like some harder words, like I don't know, like, business terms or um, health terms or any of that. Um, I just, like, cannot. I don't know if Mandarin would now be considered a first language or if it would be a second language. I don't understand how that works. But moving on to today's um, podcast topic, I just finished a book. As you know, um, been on a reading spree, finished a book, also started another book. I'm now reading Feminism from Margin to Center um, by Bell Hooks because I am obsessed with Bell Hooks. But before I started Bell Hooks, I was reading Minor Feelings by Kathy Hong Park. And it's also a song, if you know Rina Sawayama, who is a British Japanese singer um there's also a song in her album Hold the Girl also called Minor Feelings and i think it's the first kind of opening song and it's like it's like a great great opening song it's just it's so like i don't know she incorporates kind of religious you know hymn kind of church music vibes like in her music and uh Minor Feelings is very much kind of like like it sounds like an organ kind of playing and she's kind of singing about you know these emotions and like this kind of pent up i don't know it's just it's a really good song and yeah that i'm pretty sure that song was named after this book but the book really speaks to the asian american experience and i like the song like rena Row, it's it is also about kind of like being asian in like a like a pwi like a predominantly white institution but what are minor feelings you may wonder minor feelings it's um a certain term coined um i think it's based off of a different term but also you know me like goldfish memory i couldn't tell you what the other term was but Minor feelings basically are the racialized range of emotions that are negative, uh, dysphoric, and therefore un built from the sediments of everyday racial experience and the irritant of having one's perception of reality constantly questioned or dismissed. Minor feelings are generated from a lack of change when racial and economic structures are consistently reinforced. In quotes, it's a non-cathartic state. Of emotion, end quote, with a remarkable capacity for duration when optimism is forced on you, when the reality you live is much different, creating cognitive dissonance. Feelings that are considered overreactions when expressed because it doesn't fit the delusional reality of progress that allows for white comfort. It's the small, small kind of moments and small, like feelings of just like, you're being told one thing, but what you're experiencing is actually something else. And it's not at all the idealized version that people are telling you. It creates that kind of like, I think of it almost like two rocks like grinding against each other. One is the perception of your life and like what you're experiencing. And the other rock is your, um, or like other people's kind of, what they're telling you and so what what that like messaging of like what you're being told is like we are post um racial like we have moved past race we all lives matter like we're all kind of everything's fine there's no slavery there's no discrimination we're not discriminating against you and it's like um or like uh Your family is like successful, so therefore, you know, racism must not exist because you're kind of the exception, or like you've kind of risen above. And I think it just speaks really true to a lot of like Asian Americans and also just like immigrants as well, of like you're being told that. It's amazing here like everything is great everything's perfect everything's fine and then what you experience is like subtle hints that it's not it's almost like you know the horror movies like the thrillers where it's not actually like um scary scary like there's no jump scares or anything but it's like the character is like walking through this like utopian town right everything is like white picket fence um There's just like the trees are are like trimmed properly, a little too perfect, and the like no dogs are barking. It's quiet. The streets are completely like pristine. Everything is brand new and shiny, and you're like you're the character is like walking through this kind of utopian town, and it just feels eerie. Like things are a little just seem really wrong. I feel like that is kind of the feeling that, you know, Asian people carry in like American society or just in other countries where, you know, it's just a lot of white people. Like if you can imagine like like looking different and then as you're walking through this like utopian kind of town that's just so perfect and it's all just white people staring back at you. It's very, like, eerie. I don't think that the eeriness comes from, like, the color of skin. It's just the system and, like, what it represents. It's, it's like, I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's really hard to describe. And it's just, like, this eerie feeling and it you just feel uncomfortable you feel like you're out of place and that's just kind of I feel like the experience at least for me growing up um you know looking different from everyone and I don't think it would have been a problem of me looking different I just think it was a problem that was constantly pointed out but I do want to talk more about these instances and some of the ones that really stick out in my memory and has just like, I can't forget, I can't forget experiences like this. And at the same time, minor feelings are so annoying and so like, it just eats at you. Cause you know, if you act on it, it just, it doesn't, you know, fit the narrative. If you're, if you suddenly like, All these things are happening to you, these annoyances, these, you know, instances that kind of show that the facade that you're being shown isn't actually what it is, you kind of go crazy a little. like You go a little mentally off the rails and you know that if you do fly off the rails, it's just not going to be perceived well. Like it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the facade. If you act in a different way than what people expect you to act, you know that people see it as an overreaction. They'll think, why are you overreacting? These are all like small things. But once this all kind of compiles, it just turns into this like, It's so hard to describe. This feeling is so hard to describe unless you've really lived through it. And I just want to talk about these instances and maybe you'll kind of, you know, see where I'm getting at. And I, this is also just a way for me to like vent and put all this out in the world so that people know that this is, you know, this happens. And I'm just one person. If you can imagine like many other. Asian Americans especially how their experiences are probably either pretty similar to mine or they, they they've experienced more it just almost feels like at one point the price to pay as an Asian American is to be christened like by one of these events and for these minor feelings to just kind of linger so we're going to first start with kindergarten and this isn't something that really bothered me until later on, but at this point it's like, what what can I do? It's already kind of stuck. So in kindergarten, my teacher didn't know how to pronounce my name. I went to a a Christian school. Um but I don't know, like looking back, I'm like, why didn't you ask my parents? Um because she asked me, she was like, How do I pronounce your name? And I was like, I like my parents call me Unping because that's my Chinese name. But she's like reading the romanization of it. And she's like, Onping, I'm going to call you. She's like, do you say Anping or Onping? An and I was like, that's that's not right. But and so I was just like, I I don't I don't know because, I you know, my name is Chinese. Instead of asking my parents, she goes, "I'm going to call you on ping. Is that okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." I was a kid, okay, mind you. It's like kindergarten. I think you're like four, mm, five, five or six years old by that point. I didn't fucking know. I did not know what like what my English name was. I just didn't have one. And later on, I learned that you know, I just I don't know. I've always been kind of ashamed of my name until of like recently, like literally until recently. And I have always just like, cause a lot of, um, Asian people have like their name in their native language and then they have like an English name. And I was like, mom, why didn't you give me an English name? My mom was like, well, I was inspired by, um, this immigrant. I think his name is Yoming Hey. and he designed the 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 Louvre, the Louvre, Louvre pyramid and he kept his um, Chinese name and she was like I just felt like your name has meaning in Chinese and it's special and so I just wanted you to kind of preserve that. I like wonder like as an immigrant if she had me keep my Chinese name either out of pride or like fear, like pride of her language and the culture, and maybe also partly like fear that if I disconnect from the language and the culture that I would also be disconnected from her. Because I mean, my mom's English is like pretty like reasonable now, but like imagine going to a country where you just don't really know the language at all and having a kid that's like going through you know formal schooling on the language and the culture and you just feel that kind of divide kind of forming between you and your child like like you coming from one culture and your child growing up in another i imagine is a scary kind of feeling and yeah i just think This is the immigrant experience. Um, Inevitably, there's going to be like a cultural gap between you and your family. And it's just like, I don't, it just always has felt like I've been stuck kind of drifting between two cultural worlds. Even before I even started school, (laughs) we had instances of microaggressions. It's this question that everyone knows. (laughs) Where are you really from? Or where are you from? Or where are you really from? It, the the tone really matters, okay? They, they ask it in this very specific way so that you know exactly what they're trying to hint at. And I just need to say that Chinese people have lived in America since the 1850s. So it's been at least 170 years since then since Chinese people started living in America. And the fact that I'm still being asked, where are you from? It's not like a, oh, where are you from? Like, what state are you from? It's like a, where are you from? (laughs) The tone matters, I'm saying. And since I was born in, like I grew up uh, in West Lafayette, Indiana, because my dad was studying at Purdue University my answer was always like when they ask where are you from I'm like Lafayette and it was just like there's this one lady in particular that I remember usually people just kind of chuckle this one lady literally like keeled over like laughing like so hard she was like she she just thought it was the funniest fucking thing in the world that I didn't understand her what she was like insinuating And she's like, it's just very, it was very clearly like, you don't look white and therefore you aren't American. So I'm asking you where your kind is from or where you are from. So she asked again, she's like, no, where are you really from? I'm like, what does that even mean? As a child, I'm like, I was born in the US. I'm not from anywhere. I grew up here. I'm from Like, when I was little, I was from West Lafayette. So I said Lafayette. (laughs) To my parents, it makes sense, okay? They love that question because to them, it's not a bad, it's not, there's not that like kind of meaning, you know, of like, where are you really from? Like for my parents, it's like, oh, I'm from Taiwan. Like I did come from somewhere. Like they it kind of opens the door for them to talk about Taiwan and their culture and their journey. And I think because of like the language barrier and the cultural differences, they for the longest time didn't really understand the underlying message until as of recently when my dad and I sat down and I kind of explained, you know, the context of it and the meaning behind it. It's like the U.S. is all I know pretty much. Like that's where I'm from. If you really want to ask me where are you really from, I'm from the US. I'm American. I have a US passport. I have US citizenship. I can vote. I don't speak with any sort of accent. Like I can even speak with like a Midwest twang if I feel like it. And like I use terms like y'all and ope, and I can differentiate between yeah, no and no, yeah. And like to hear this question so many times throughout my life like for me it just kind of stings it's that little kind of like paper cut like every time I get it it just feels like a little paper cut and it's like a reminder that if you're white or your skin is light in America the automatic assumption is that you belong there which is weird because I don't know again with that like cognitive dissonance because in school it's like America is a melting pot of cultures and peoples and like all those things. And they always have like the picture in the history textbooks of like all the different colored kids. And to see that, to learn that, but then in reality, just because I'm Asian getting asked, oh, you know, where are you really from? It's just, it doesn't line up With that perception. And that's kind of how I would describe minor feelings. It's like, because I'm not lighter skinned or I don't look a certain way, I am not seen as American. And I will forever be the perpetual foreigner. I don't, I just don't understand what else needs to be done for Asian Americans or especially like. Chinese people to be recognized as Americans because we've been in the country for 170 years. Like, what, what more is there to prove? And like for my parents, it makes sense. You listen to them speak English, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, you're, you have an accent. That's okay. But also, I just like the question of like, where are you really from? It's Just don't ask it. I don't know. Like, why do you feel the need to know people's kind of historical background right off the bat like that? Like, they don't even know you. It's just very clearly, it's like the first thing you look at. And it's these people who will say, oh, I don't see race. But at the same time, they look at you and they're like, okay, I don't know. You're not from here you're not American. The things just don't line up, you know? The situation is mismatched. And here's the other traumatizing moment. Many moments, actually, but I've kind of compiled it into one theme. I always hated lunchtime at school. My mom would always pack my lunches. I would eat my lunch with my lunchbox always sitting in front of my face to hide what I was eating, I just like couldn't stand to like put my lunchbox to the side and just like eat in front of people. Especially if my mom packed dumplings or jiaozi, I would open my Tupperware up slightly and I would always take out like a, a piece, shove it in my mouth, and then I'd close the lid again. Because I would remember when I was younger, I brought jiaozi and i opened the lid and some kid stands up and starts yelling he's like it smells like barts and it smells really bad and so that just kind of stuck in my head and i was like fuck like i cannot eat in front of these people i also really love uh pork sung or ruo song and i have I'm like always have a big container of it at home and it's my favorite thing growing up and still today. One of my elementary school friends looked at my lunch with rice and roesong and was like, what is that? Is that hair? Oh my God, are you eating hair? After it happened like multiple times, I just got into a habit of like whenever I have roesong, like even in college. When I, like, brought, like, a big thing of Rosong, like, back to my apartment, I immediately started explaining. I'm like, this isn't hair, okay? This is dried pork. It's just kind of, I don't know, it just doesn't really, it wasn't a fun experience. And I eventually just stopped bringing my lunch to school, and I started buying school lunches. But obviously, that gets kind of expensive, because I think school lunches are, like, what, $2 a tray? It's not even like good food. It's so nasty. Like the blandest food for $2. But like if you imagine like $2 every week, that's kind of expensive, especially at the time. So I started packing my own lunch. And I even told my mom that she should stop cooking Chinese food for me. And I still like, it affects me how I had to tell my mom that and I I still like actually like I've cried about this like many times about how bad I probably made my mom feel. I don't know that feeling that her kid was uncomfortable eating her cooking at school and I don't know that like refusal of like like I cooked you a meal and now you don't want to take it to school. Like I just I'm sure that was like Slightly traumatizing for her. And I many times went to like apologize for that. In high school, I started packing uh, my own lunches, uh, especially like ham sandwiches, salads, peewee and carrots and hummus. Like, you know the drill. But now, like, people like fiend. Okay, jiao jiaozi is like the boiled kind of version it's basically pot stickers like it is pot stickers just not like fried people fiend for pot stickers now like they go to trader joe's and h mart nowadays to get like the big frozen bags of pot stickers and i'm not one to gatekeep good things okay if i think like a food is good i'm telling you if I think something is great, like I will tell you. Like I I don't care. I don't care to gatekeep. But like after all of this, all that I've experienced just to see people now spending like fifteen dollars for something that my mom can make and has like packed me for lunch, it just makes me like a little sick. <laughs> I don't know, like did y'all get so sick of ham sandwiches and salads that you're now turning to the foods that you used to say smelled and tasted bad. They just don't have even the culture or the connection to the culture. Like I'm sure they don't have like Asian friends to learn how to make the food. So now here they are spending $15 for a bag of pot stickers. And this money goes to some large corporation that's probably spending the money on some like shady shit like war, environmental damage and like conversion camps or like sweatshops. Like, all of these, which in the end kills mostly the very people in the cultures that you're eating the foods of. I just think this whole situation is very messed up. And for someone who just doesn't understand, you're probably, like, you're overreacting. Like, this is, like, weird. Why are you making a big deal about getting teased about school lunches? And it's like, no, this is just how I feel isn't it an overreaction <laughs> and i still i still think i'm overreacting am i overreacting because i got teased for my school lunches but now bitches are out here like going to like din tai Fung, eating the exact same thing i d- <laughs> like what am i supposed to do at this point so this is my favorite <laughs> teacher to talk about This was my history teacher from seventh grade. So I told y'all in a past episode that I had many messed up stories from school. This is is one of them, okay? She, as my history teacher, was a self-proclaimed culture traveler. As she's been to China as a white woman and experienced what it was like to be stared at since she was lighter skinned, and with blonde hair and blue eyes in in like a ethnically homogenous country but the sad thing is i honestly loved this teacher at the time because i was like oh my god she says that she's very cultured and she's traveled to china she must like enjoy if i like share some of my culture and what i know with her it was it was so sad because i was so excited to share that part of myself because she was at least someone who would listen despite her being racist at least she would listen and so one day I even brought like a hulusi it's like a um Chinese instrument made out of like a gourd and bamboo uh and I brought it to class I was so excited because one of my friend's mom like brought it from China and I was like look at this and like I even learned how to play like a song That was like a song that I learned to play by ear. I didn't even know how to play the instrument. I just knew like these notes sounded right and it sounded like the song. So I played the song that I kind of taught myself. I was that excited. But one of the more traumatizing moments in her class was one day when she goes up to the whiteboard and she writes an expo marker, Asian stereotypes. And then, with no context, proceeded to ask the rest of the class, "Tell me all the stereotypes that you know about Asian people, and I will disprove them all one by one." It was awkward. It was so awkward. Everyone turned to me, staring at me, and then they all slowly raised their hands to tell her what kind of Asian stereotypes they knew. You know the classics: Asians can't drive. Asians have small eyes. Asians aren't are really good at math. And it was like. The way I wanted to like dig a hole and die in it that day And her, like, let me disprove the stereotype method was her to tell her personal experience of having an Asian student in her class who had failing grades. <sighs> what? There's also another story that she told us about this Chinese lady that she met on the plane who offered her some like mystery meat. And after eating it, she was like, oh, this is pretty good. Like, what is it? Of course, the reenactment is never finished without our teacher faking Asian accents to imitate the lady on the plane, who's trying to tell her in broken English. She's like, oh, what meat is this? And the lady was like, oh, it's what it's what birds you to fly. Like she she did that. OK, she did that accent. And she's like, you mean a bird's wing? And the whole class like scrunched their faces in like disgust. And I'm like, huh? Like, you don't eat chicken wings? Like, I, I don't understand. It was just, it was just so unnecessary. But moving on, next incident, we'll just kind of, I have no words. I have no words for that history teacher. But moving on, this is college, beginning of COVID. After Trump called it the Kung flu. Um, So I went away for college. And my childhood bestie stayed in Indiana. But he came and visited. And uh, I decided to take him to go see the Flatirons in Boulder, Colorado. And then they also have that kind of like old town street. So I was like, okay, let's let's go do that. This is Boulder, Colorado, uh, by the way. This is where the Richies live. This is where rent is over $1,000 US dollars uh, for a tiny room in a shared house. And there's like a red, blue, or black Tesla every like 10 cars that you drive past. Me and Bestie, we're walking along Old Town, uh, the street, and we're looking at the cute shops. There's like, you know, it's very hippy-dippy, like thrift stores, international imports psychics um yeah suburbia with granola people you know you know the drill portland oregon yeah that's the vibe we're crossing the street and cars are stopped on both sides of us one of the cars there's a dude who rolls down his window sticks his whole freaking half of his body out of the car and starts coughing obnoxiously like this it's like a cough like scream yell and (laughs) we all knew it was directed at me okay but in my head still there's like that tinge of doubt it's like is that directed towards me is this because of covid like what the heck and as we're kind of walking past the cars that cough like you can tell he's like turning his body so that he's aiming it right at me and just keeps going and this one girl like starts screaming Oh my fucking god stop like stop like stop like it was just so much was happening and my friend and I just like didn't talk about it like for a really long time like after it happened we just like didn't talk about it and it wasn't until like i think many 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 months later that we finally was like remember that time when it just like i'm talking about these moments, these microaggressions, these minor feelings. Because as I'm here in a predominantly Asian country, it just feels like I can finally like relax. It's called minor feelings because these things are so small that for everyone else and for people who don't understand the messaging, they seem harmless. But if you do understand it, you understand that you're constantly being hinted that you don't belong and it just gets old and all of these events are burned in my memory and it builds up. Like if I could forget that these happened, like I wish I could, but they constantly serve as a reminder of how much longer we have to go. I think it's ridiculous. That non-white people are, like, we aren't treated as if we haven't been part of the country's history since its founding, or even shortly after. Like, we're treated as if our ancestors haven't sacrificed life and limb for the very infrastructures and luxuries that white Americans get to enjoy. And what was the return, right? The return was constantly being labeled as a foreigner. I will never belong. And it really makes me question, if I were to have kids, not saying I do, because that's a whole nother thing to talk about. If I were to have kids and they look like me, would they also experience this? Like now at that point, your mother is, your mother is American. You are ethnically Asian and all you know is the U.S. and you're being told that you don't belong that you're not American enough. I just feel like the history of the contributions of non-white people to American culture, it's just never really discussed. And I was never taught really what the contributions of Chinese Americans were. Like y'all know like the railroad system, right? that literally transformed the U.S. to like the industrial kind of power that it was. These histories aren't even taught. Like I didn't even know This sort of history. I don't even think I can fully comprehend the white American hatred for Chinese people, but I just know, just living there, I just know and I can feel how deep it runs in the country. And it just makes my blood run cold. And as I'm here in Taiwan with people who respect my humanity and like, it just feels like I'm letting out a lungful of air that I've been holding in. It's like a pressure getting released from my chest. It's like if I like a balloon that I'd swallowed in my chest and it just kind of felt like that kind of tight feeling. And now it's like someone took a needle and just popped it. And I just feel so at ease. And people might wonder, why do Americans constantly talk about race? It's because you can't escape it. It's an imaginary system that was created for one group of people to benefit. It's completely imaginary. But we have to constantly talk about it because it's constantly being perpetuated. We're constantly being reminded that race is a system that is constantly being reinforced. And as it's being reinforced, as I'm constantly being told that I'm not American enough, that's where these minor feelings come from. White Americans, it seems like they have a tough time understanding or empathizing with why marginalized identities are very uncomfortable with them. But thinking through all of these minor feelings, and as... You know, I've kind of described these instances, like these very clear instances that stand out to me of minor feelings. It's it's hard to forget that the face that I associate with each and every one of these instances was a white face. And I'm not saying I hate white people, and I shouldn't even need to specify that. Like, you understand Racism and whiteness was created as like a system. And of course, to keep a small percentage of people in control of the narrative, it just is reinforced consistently. And when I see the face of whiteness, it is a face of ignorance and disgust of people that exist outside of that construct. And you're probably thinking, I feel like disgust is a strong word to use, but no, that's exactly, that's exactly the feelings that, that's the vibe that I get when I am experiencing these events. I feel like there is a sort of disgust towards me. Even though the disgust is directed at my food, I know it's at me, okay? I'm not, I'm not like ignorant in that way. Like I know, I know the context. I've experienced this so many times that I even find myself disgusting at times too. It's like, imagine the scenario where you're just walking around and people are around you acting like you kind of smell bad, like they're kind of cowering away from you or they're like holding their their nose or they like turn away from you. If that's kind of what's happening and you're walking around, their behaviors are slightly off. And they make like backhanded comments to you like, oh, did you shower yesterday? Or it's like, what shampoo do you use? It smells interesting. You know these comments. (laughs) If people are always acting in that way around you, naturally, you start sniffing at yourself too. You're like, what the heck are these reactions for? Like, do I actually smell bad? But as you get older, these reactions start to fade as you find yourself with people who love you as as you. They don't care about your stench or even if you have one, right? You don't even know if you have one. You smell fine to you, but other people seem to not act that way. But yet the messaging that you still receive is that we have reached progress, like People who smell bad are now more accepted into society. We have an integrated society. We all accept people as they are. But whatever is being preached, there will always be that one moment, that one experience of someone just slightly, like as you sit down, someone slightly shifting their weight towards a different end of the seat, like away from you it just sends you back into that spiral and you remember all the moments where people were treating you like you smelled bad looking back on the moments that i've experienced i just wished i stood up for myself then i have so many regrets and i'm not a person to have regrets i like i want to very much move past things but i do have many regrets about not fighting for myself but I think we need to be (laughs) completely honest. As much as we want that, like, fiery movie esque, I don't know, retaliation or like talking back, as satisfying as that may be, we need to be real about what the consequences would have been. If that kid who was yelling about my food, if I stood up and yelled the same, like, if I talked back, I didn't even talk about, let me just mention, like, Kids sitting behind me in class would literally, like, whisper under their breath, Chin chang wing wang. all those things. If I had stood up, whipped around, turned, looked them straight in the eye, and said, like, fuck you, as much as I want to say that, we gotta be honest about what the consequence would have been. Because no one likes it when the model minority gets out of line. We all know that if I had spoken up, what would have happened, okay? I, at that point, was so fucking tired of it that I just wanted to disappear. I just didn't even want to be in existence anymore. That's, that's just kind of how it felt. It's so idealized for us to be like, stand up for yourself or whatever, but it's just like, I didn't want any problems, okay? I just wanted to go to school. I just wanted to get through class. I didn't want to deal with any of the ramifications afterwards. I just wanted to finish class, go home, and sleep, okay? If I had stood up and said, fuck you, like I wanted to, that I just wouldn't be able to do what I wanted to do. It would have to be just another bump in the road. I know this is a... Darker episode, but I like, I couldn't tell you. I don't exactly have a conclusion to this. I just wanted people to be aware of this experience of the term minor feelings and what it feels like. If you have experienced stuff like this and you want to get it off your chest, I have a very inactive Instagram. It's bedrot.thoughts. You're welcome to share with me, and we can discuss, and I can listen. If you have perpetuated moments like these, like you told someone ching chong wing wong, or you pulled your eyes until they were slits, or you gave someone the Chinese middle finger, or you said the joke of how do Chinese people name their babies, you said konnichiwa to someone who looked East Asian, or... You asked someone where they're really from. Or you said, oh, all ages can drive. If this is sitting heavily on your consciousness, and you would like to confess, you can do that on the Instagram as well. We can talk about it. But think about how we can change this. Because I have no idea. Like, all I can say is just don't do it. Tell younger kids not to do it either. If you're raising kids just teach them to be more culturally aware. The fact that I experienced this so young in my life is very sad to me. So yeah, this is the episode. Hope you stay safe and I'll catch you next time. Bye.